football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Palazzolo, back here with Sam Botson. It's time to preview week 16 in the NFL. But first, don't forget about our friends over at Monkey Knife Fight, all first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight to put at least $20 into their account. By using the promo code PFF, you'll receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's $40 of value for just $20, and you get the opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest growing fantasy sports sites in the country, it's Monkey Knife Fight. So right now, go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your $20, use the promo code PFF today, and receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. We have another great offer as well. When you subscribe to PFF Elite Annual while using the promo code ACTION, that's promo code ACTION, you receive a free year. We get the year of Elite Subscription Access and one year of Action Pro subscription access for just the $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offer tailor-made to make Avid and new betters even better. This is a limited time offer that is currently only made available through the Super Bowl. The offer only applies to first-time elite annual subscribers. All right, Sam, I'm coming back. Back to you right here from the parents' basement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Christmas tree in the back for the YouTube viewers. Got the Christmas sweater on. I'm ready to go, man. Happy uh, Merry Christmas week. You're uh, you're sitting in your parents' basement, and you are you know better dressed than you normally are. It's 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 an interesting choice. Just from the from the waist up only. Oh, okay. So no more questions. You know, I put all the effort into the uh, the upper half. Right. While we're on the uh, on the Zoom here. Say no more. Anyway, let's get into all the action. It's going to be another doozy of a week. Let's start by Christmas on Christmas Day. We have a game, 4.30 Eastern time, Minnesota Vikings and the New Orleans Saints. The Saints are favored by seven as of record time right now. And we've got the Mike Zimmer defense going up against the Saints, their offense. Drew Brees last week already, we talked about it on the Monday pod, didn't look like himself, actually admitted he wasn't himself. What are we expecting in this Vikings-Saints matchup on Christmas? Yeah, but it looks like they're going to keep rolling with him, right? Like they're not going to they're not going to park him and try and get him healthy and roll into the postseason, <laughs> which is it's what it seems like they maybe should do. They're going to put value in Drew Brees being sharp and game ready when he makes the postseason and value in chasing those seeding spots. Um, so they're going to put him out there. And to be fair, the Vikings can't get any pressure, so it's not a bad team to put him out there against. You know, it's. They can cause some problems on defense. They're still creative. They're still able to confuse, but they're not going to hit Drew Brees much. Um, So in terms of protecting him just from a physical standpoint, it isn't a bad matchup for them. For all the struggles that Brees had, he did hit a 50-yard pass the other day. So it's not like, hey, you know, he just, he literally can't get the ball out there. If you give a guy, if you give him an opening, you give a guy a step, he could still get it. I mean, he's still an NFL quarterback. He can get the ball 
out there. The problem, you could tell his timing and accuracy was just off. But maybe against this Vikings team that has allowed over 1,000 yards on deep passes, that's most in the league, uncharacteristic for a Zimmer defense. But you see the, you know, the young corners and the growing pains they've had. Maybe there are a couple downfield plays for the Saints in this game. Yeah, I think, I mean, the options are definitely going to be there. As this Vikings defense is improving on the back end. Those cornerbacks are playing better, Cameron Dantzler in particular. And honestly, he's the one, I think, to get excited about in that group and was kind of since they drafted him. You know, his potential as a third-round pick was always sky high. He just was built like a stick, right? So that's why between that and running like a cow – that's why he went in the third round. The, the numbers, the, the measurables didn't stack up to the play, right? He's one of the few guys in college that was like matching up with Jamar Chase and doing a pretty good job of it. Um, he can cover. He can play at a high level. And if he isn't physically overwhelmed, which he hasn't been for most of the year, I think he's the guy with the most talent, despite the fact that they have a first-round pick in Jeff Gladney um, there as well. And he's the one that started to play better as the season has gone on. Dantzler has been really good the past few weeks despite going up against some good receivers so you know that that secondary is improving but they're not getting any help up front they can't rush the passer at all and there's only so much they can do while the rest of the group you know finds its footing dantzler running like a cow sam did you not see the the pro day rerun of his 40 come on now yes and i look i think there's something to that he's not as slow as the cow speed and he's probably not quite as fast as the four yeah, the 4-1 or whatever they said he ran at his pro day. Uh, last year, playoffs, this is where we saw the Saints who yeah. should have been rolling, right? And they struggled against this Vikings defense. And that was uh, a quote-unquote healthy Drew Brees who just, you know, again, his arm didn't look great down the stretch last year. It included a home game against the Vikings in the playoffs where the Vikings did a great job taking away Michael Thomas and using, you know, Andrew Sendejo, like uh, – unusual personnel to take away what the Saints really like to do. I thought the Vikings did a great job of working downhill and taking away the short stuff. That's why I'm wondering if Breeze is going to have to force a couple shots over the top here. And then Kirk Cousins against a really good Saints defense. They have limited opposing passing attacks for the most part. We even mentioned last week. Did a pretty nice job against the Saints. I think it's a great matchup for uh, for Christmas afternoon. Where are you leaning with the seven-point spread here? Yeah, it is. I mean, I think, obviously, you've got to like the Saints to win. I don't think the Vikings have enough firepower, even given the recent history of this game. Um, but seven points when you see what Drew Brees has been playing like since coming back. Even before he got hurt, you know, the, the sort of hit and miss of good Drew Brees, bad Drew Brees. I don't know that I love New Orleans to cover seven points. Yeah, I'm with you there. I think, uh, yeah, I think the Vikings, yeah, there's a little bit of the history there where I think the, the the Saints could struggle a little bit on offense. I'll lean the Vikings to seven is a lot of points. And, uh, you know me, I've always thought that the Vikings are a little bit better than their record has showed this year. Give me the Vikings to cover and the Saints to win. Let's get into the, we'll go three games of the week, and then we'll get into the Saturday slate, which doesn't have any of the games of the week, and some of the other games, uh, you know, the rest of the weekend. Uh, Indianapolis Colts at the Pittsburgh Steelers, a game that probably looked a lot more attractive a few weeks ago when the Steelers were not on a three-game losing streak. What can we still expect from the Steelers here against the Colts? I honestly don't know. I mean, the last last week was the most crippling thing for Pittsburgh because you could explain away the previous couple of games or at least rationalize it in your head, right? The uh, Washington football team 
loss felt like a kind of trap game heading into it. I I will admit that I thought it was a trap game, as in this will be really close, but Pittsburgh will still win. But that started the rot. But the Bengals game was just a mess, right? If you can't get right against the Cincinnati Bengals defense, you have major foundational problems that are are really dangerous to what you expect to be doing in the next couple of games and into the postseason. Now you're going up against the Indianapolis Colts who have an actual viable defense that can cause anybody problems, not just, you know, the Pittsburgh Steelers. So, you know, this is a short week. What can they possibly have fixed in four or five days to get this thing right? Yeah, I I definitely thought that, look, the Steelers, hey, they had a couple bad games they will get right against the Bengals. It felt like they should have. Big Ben had a he had a rough game, could not complete anything, you know, throwing uh, throwing it down the field. The Steelers who want to run this short passing attack haven't been able to catch the ball efficiently, and then Ben's not throwing the ball throwing the ball efficiently either now and you know, not seeing linebackers and various things that are happening. So uh, there's a lot happening here. I just wonder how much we just say, look, it's a three-game slump rather than a trend. The Colts do a pretty good job. So the, the, the Colts will give you the underneath stuff for the most part, right? They like to play a little bit of zone. They like to, uh, you know, make you throw the ball over the top. They're okay. They'll, they'll let you complete passes underneath. The matchup could work in the Steelers' favor unless the Colts decide we're going to play a little bit more press man. We are going to attack the underneath stuff. We're going to treat Big Ben essentially like people have said we should treat Drew Brees or Alex Smith through their, through their years. Just make them make throws over the top, I think a lot is going to be determined by the the strat- defensive strategy of the Colts if they do uh, try to take away the underneath stuff by playing a little bit more aggressive. And then I think that becomes quite challenging for this Pittsburgh offense. I don't think you even need to take it away. I think that's kind of the thing is that the Steelers are not efficient enough at executing that style of offense for it to be a problem. Like you can give them that all day long. You know, there are certain quarterbacks and certain um, teams throughout the last 20 years where they were efficient and patient and good enough at executing that underneath stuff that if that's what you were giving them, they were going to kill you with a thousand paper cuts if it took all day. The Steelers have not been capable of playing that way for the past few weeks. If you gave them, you know, a hundred of these underneath passes, they're not going to complete enough for it to be a a, a high scoring offense. They're going to drop a bunch. They're going to miss. They have some issues with that offense and we talked about it a little on today's pff nfl daily which you should go check out pause the podcast search pff nfl daily grab it um and then you can listen to our sort of analysis on the steelers but in a nutshell they don't do the things that are giving you free easy yardage they don't exploit the cheat codes for offense that pretty much everybody else in the nfl is right now and if you're not going to do that, you are asking yourself and your your individuals to execute at an extremely high level on a consistent basis. And for a while now, they haven't been able to do that. You're getting good at the the cheap plug. Thanks on the uh, uh, on the PFF daily. Nice I'm just job taking there. your lead. You've been uh, you've been the master at that. I thought I might drop one myself. <laughs> and again, we appreciate all the support for the daily. It's taken off to the moon, as they say, and uh, we do appreciate all the support there, the people that have downloaded the daily and and added that to the mix here for your podcast listening. So yeah, we went through the entire AFC North and I tried to circle back when when, when we were talking about the Steelers because it has been their defense that has made them 
uh, you know, an attractive team this entire season, right? The last two years, maybe the best defense in the entire NFL for whatever that's worth. Their pass rush is excellent. Uh, they have their hits and misses on the back end as far as coverage goes, but um, overall, they can get after it. So let's not overlook the fact that their defense can put pressure on Phillip Rivers. And you got Rivers, outdoor game, Sam, you know, you know me, and playing at Pittsburgh versus playing in Indianapolis is a lot different. Can the defense go out there? If, if, if Big Ben and the offense can't move the ball, can the defense go out there and win this game for them? Yeah, and I, I meant to – so, let, well, let's do this, right? I got asked on the radio yesterday, I think. Um, I'm going to pose essentially the same question to you. Is this Pittsburgh defense suffering from a cumulative weight of injuries that they've had over the last – over the season? You know, we've had Devin Bush went down. They've just been missing guy, Bud Dupree. Uh, guy after guy has been going down. Has this just reached a critical mass where that's too big a problem to overcome now? Or have they just – reach the point where you know defense is unsustainable in today's nfl like 2020 offenses are lighting defenses on fire and eventually what they were doing was inevitably going to regress and that's basically just what we're seeing i, I think the injuries have definitely taken their toll i think there's a little bit of both i think the fact that they are i, I think that of our strategy of coverage over pass rush and all that stuff i think there are certain schemes where that makes more sense. I think the Steelers are reliant on their their pass rushers. So they blitz and they put pressure from that standpoint, but they also have the guys to win one-on-one. TJ Watt, who can go out there and dominate, and they do a nice job of blitzing their inside linebackers. I think this defense is so dependent on pressure, but in a given game, early in the season, they were pressuring teams 50% of the time, you know, 60% of the time in certain games. That was the part I think was really difficult to sustain because on paper, it's not like their secondary is incredible. It's a good, solid secondary, right? Cameron Sutton's played some good football. I love the way Mike Hilton plays, but a lot of his value is what he does around the line of scrimmage and as a blitzer and everything. So I think from a coverage unit standpoint, you wouldn't really say Cam Sutton, Mike Hilton, Steven Nelson, and Joe Hayden. You wouldn't say that they're best in the league. You'd say that they're good and they're solid. And when you attach that to a really nice pass rush, okay, you can get good production out of the back end so I think I think the Steelers D has been so pressure oriented when there was the inevitable regression there all of a sudden quarterbacks have a little bit more time to find open receivers in the back end where they're just okay that's my answer all right I can buy that so I, I think the I think the Colts have the you know Rivers is really good at just distributing the ball finding open receivers if if the Steelers have one of those games though where it's 40 plus percent pressure I think the Colts offense could be in trouble I know Rivers plays well under pressure. He can handle it and all that stuff, but, you know, he's much better from a clean pocket. I've, I like Pittsburgh to bounce back here, man. I think huh. I think we might overrate – I'm going to say this every week. It feels like we're moving in the other direction every single week with the Steelers and, and looking at just the most recent thing that we saw. I think their defense can, uh, you know, help them out a little bit here. They're one-and-a-half-point underdogs as of now. I kind of like Pittsburgh in this game. Whew. Um, I can't take Pittsburgh after what we just saw. <laughs> I, mean, I understand that that's probably not an accurate reflection of what exactly they are, but that was so concerning that I'm off. I'm out. I'm away from any kind of Pittsburgh bandwagon. I will take the Colts and I'll take them to cover. I'm also banking on a little bit of Mike Tomlin motivation factor. You play up to your competition. You play down to your competition. I think he gets them up for a big game in this one. So I'll take Pittsburgh covering the one and a half, maybe even winning. 
this game. Tennessee Titans at the Green Bay Packers. It's Sunday night football. This is really incredible. Two of the best offenses in the league. Who would have thought a year ago or year and a half ago at this point, we'd be saying Ryan Tannehill leading one of the best offenses in the NFL, but he continues to play really outstanding football plus the run game element that he brings to the table. He was awesome as a, you know, just scrambling, awesome touchdown run uh, last week. And, you know, we know Tennessee has the dudes. I can't believe there's a PFF NFL podcast, a meme Twitter account yeah. that's uh, poking a little fun and, and memeing all of our uh, our favorite sayings right now, Sam. Well, only you at the moment, just your baseball stories. Um, I'm sure they'll get to oh. me. But at the moment, you are the sole target of their uh, their comic Attempts. They have one of yours in there. They they had a Did whole they? fundamentally one. Oh, I didn't see that one. I saw, yeah, I they made fun of you too. Don't worry about it. Okay. Equal opportunity here, Sam. All right. You'll get made fun of. But they were making fun of my Tennessee dudes statement all the time. But uh, it's it's going to be great. Odori Jackson should be back for Tennessee here too. They've been waiting like week to week for him this entire season, and uh, he could he could certainly help out the secondary. That's uh, that's put some some random folks out there this year. How insane is it that, you know, we, let's start with this. I was wrong, right? We, Uh-oh. we spent the entire off season saying how insane it was. that Tennessee was basically their strategy was to just roll it up again, like do over. Let's try exactly the same thing as worked so well last season when Ryan Tannehill came in and let's assume everything will replicate itself. And you're like, well, that's never going to happen. Like everything you caught lightning in a bottle. You're not going to do it twice just because you, you know, repeat all of the pieces in the equation. And that's pretty much exactly what's happened. Derrick Henry continues to excel when Ryan Tannehill is the quarterback. Ryan Tannehill has been absurdly efficient, and his PFF grade, his numbers are basically the same as they were last year. They didn't regress the way we expected them to. Um, A.J. Brown has continued to be a, a run-after-the-catch monster. And the if anything, the only change has been... Hall of Famer Corey Davis has joined the party as well. And now they actually have a secondary threat there as in the offense. This is kind of insane that the Titans have been able to just literally repeat what happened. This And, this, and because of that, this game has shootout potential, right? Because we've talked about Green Bay not being able to put maybe a full, full quarters, four quarters together. And if they do that again, Tennessee will keep putting points on the board uh, because of because of their playmakers, the play action game. And Derrick Henry wearing them down, Sam. This is also a game where Green Bay likes to play to uh, almost invite the run, right? They like to play uh, with a light box and say, okay, beat us with the passing attack. If they do that again, well, then you've got Derrick Henry against the light box and Tennessee might run for 200. And, and hey, maybe that's okay. Maybe that does hold the Titans to 24 points or 27 points, and that's the strategy. Uh, but I do think they're going to try to give Henry a little bit more attention than they usually give running backs, which, you know, and that plays into what Tennessee likes to do is run them and run play action and do the whole deal. So that cat and mouse game is going to be interesting. And then looking to see what Green Bay can do against this Tennessee defense where, yeah, they have to, they got to, they, they have to put four quarters together of offense and not just, you know, sit on a lead or uh, go through some of the lulls I think we've seen from their offense in recent weeks. It's a great game in theory for Aaron Rodgers because um, they're a little bit banged up on the offensive line, but Tennessee doesn't have any pass rushers. They're a little bit like the Vikings and they're just not going to pressure the quarterback. So Rodgers should have all day to drop back, find his intended receiver and deal. And Tennessee's secondary isn't exactly amazing either. So Rodgers right now, 
sitting on a PFF grade of 94.5, the highest of his career, with just a couple of games to go to see just how insanely high he can put that number. Um, and this feels like a game where he should be able to build on it. But I want to highlight the importance of Adoree Jackson. He did make his return last week, played 28 snaps, and Titans fans have been waiting all year for him to come back. He has been, um, I think, quietly, Sam, one of the better corners in the league the last couple of years. It's it's a tough position to... Uh, he hasn't had, like, one of those dominant seasons, say, like a Jair Alexander had, where you say, hey, look, Adoree Jackson has emerged as a top-five corner. He hasn't had that moment. But if you go back through his, his three years... It's from 17 to 19, three years in the green, and just been solid. The body of work that Adoree Jackson has had has been really, really good. Great athlete um, and has good ball skills. So he came back last week, only 28 snaps, played well. It really changes the dynamic in the Tennessee secondary, though, when he is there and you don't have guys like Breon Borders uh, having to play a ton of snaps, right? So I, I think that's going to be, you know, it's it's almost like making a trade deadline move for the titans adding somebody that hasn't been there all season and i don't think we can understate just how important it could be for this tennessee defense certainly nice on the other hand he can't cover Devonte adams well nobody can but you can at least slow him down contest a few more passes right you could he's, at least he he has the skill set to cover a guy like Devonte adams the quickness and the you know the man coverage skills i think to to contend with him so as long yeah, as I that, agree. Who, who yeah. can cover Devontae Adams in the NFL right now? I mean, yeah, uh, as long as that sentence ends with better than the people he's replacing, I would agree. I, <laughs> I don't think he has the skill set to cover a Devontae Adams, just make a better shot of it than the people that were trying beforehand. Well, I, I think that's the that's going to be the matchup to watch. And uh, Vegas has the Packers favored by three and a half. Does that feel rich for you? Green Bay at home, Sunday night football. Where would you lead in this one? Um, I mean, maybe a little bit just because Green Bay's defense has been so spotty this season. It hasn't been, you know, guys like Kenny Clark has not been the player that he has been previously. Um, hasn't, I don't think, got back to that level this season. So I can certainly see a ton of points in this game. I can see Tennessee's offense rolling, uh, them making it difficult as well. On the other hand, I do think Green Bay is a better team. Um, and I do like the matchup for them as well. I think their offense should cook. The only thing that would concern me is what we keep talking about, that they just don't tend to run away from teams the way we expect them to, the way they should. So three and a half, man, I might lean Tennessee here. I feel like Tennessee's just battle-tested. They've, they've gone through. They've had to play a lot of the tough teams in the AFC from the Steelers, the Bills, the Browns. They, they've been through a lot. They've played the Colts twice. I, I like Tennessee, man. I think they could pull the upset, and uh, I like them to cover. I just the way they're uh, rolling right now. I'm going Titans in this one on Sunday Night Football. I'm liking the underdog so far this week. Let's go to a, a division rematch here. This is huge. Los Angeles Rams at the Seattle Seahawks. The Seahawks have a one-game lead in the NFC West. The Rams are coming off of the loss. <laughs> I'm reading. <laughs> Sorry, I got distracted by the meme. You just sent the meme to me about, oh gosh. Uh, the monkey knife fight. Anyway, the Rams are coming off the loss to the Jets. Stop distracting me on the podcast, guys. It's very unprofessional. Very unprofessional. I, I made the statement on the Monday pod, though. I wasn't going to overreact to the Rams' loss to the Jets, as bad as it was. I think in you know one-game setting, the Rams are as good as they thought we thought they were a week ago at this time. So their defense which did a great job of shutting down the Seahawks offense last time around. 
They do an outstanding job of taking away the deep ball. I'll talk about that in a second. I, I, I think th- I, does does last week's game influence this at all for you, Rams Seahawks, in, in this huge matchup? Yeah, because I think it did show something of an Achilles heel to this Rams offense, which is if you beat them up up front, if you make a mess of that offensive line, if those guys, particularly on the interior, have a bad day at the office, the offense really doesn't fire. Um, Like the whole thing is built off this steady foundation of good offensive line, good blocking, lets us run the wide zone plays, lets us run play action, and everything's good. When those guys get their asses handed to them, which is what happened against Quinn and Williams and the Jets, they the offense literally does not function. Like it, the whole thing is built on that foundation piece. And if you take a sledgehammer to it, the whole, like the building just collapses. Um, now the Jets have a really good defensive interior line. Do the Seahawks have the same capability of making a mess of that offensive line the way the Jets did? I would suggest not really. See, the thing is, I think in the first matchup, what Seattle did defensively is they sent five-man pressures over and over and over again. It's kind of their strategy with Jamal Adams this year, five-man pressure after five-man pressure. And the Rams had answers for that. They had open receivers all over the place. Seattle was just not equipped to handle just the receiver distribution that the Rams you know, we're throwing yeah. out. The Rams had answers. They have so, answers to that. They don't have answers for the uh, the guys up front just losing one-on-one battles. And I, But I don't think Seattle has the – they don't have the dudes. Right, that's what I'm saying. They don't have the horses to to, to, to do anything about that. Yep. So I, I expect the Rams offense to, to have success. To me, the big question is on the other side here. The Rams, I, I don't want to understate their defense this year and how incredible they've been. A 22 passer rating on 20-plus yard passes allowed. By far, that's 20 points better than any other team in the league. They've only allowed eight deep completions the entire season. You've got Jalen Ramsey and DK Metcalf in a rematch here where Jalen Ramsey didn't exactly shadow him the entire time, but when he did, he was he was in lockstep with DK for m- much of the time. And the big criticism of Russ in that game was, who cares if it's, you know, if it's tight coverage, chuck it up to DK. He needs opportunities. So does Seattle learn from that? Do they just take a few blind chances down the field? Can they get their deep passing attack going? Or do they play a Brady Breeze Rodgers really really patient make Russ hit all the underneath stuff against this Rams defense I want to see how Seattle adjusts to the Rams D in this one yeah and and the Rams defense with their sort of split safeties two high safeties that don't necessarily play deep halves or deep um deep from the line of scrimmage is an interesting and often confusing look for opposing quarterbacks so it's not something that you can just expect Russell Wilson to drop back, immediately diagnose, and you know find the open spot. He's going to have to figure out where the ball needs to go and do it, you know, whilst probably under some pressure because Aaron Donald is there. Um, so yeah, it's it's not a great matchup for the Seahawks' offense, but equally, I don't love it from the other point of view either. So we might see a, a lot of points. So Rams, you know, it, it, it's in Seattle this time around. Uh, That could change things a little bit. Seattle um, has the one-game lead. If the Rams win, they'll be tied atop the West with the Rams with the tiebreaker. So it'll be completely in the Rams. You know, they would be controlling their own destiny. They do control their own destiny. They need to win, right, the Rams, and they'll be fine. Uh, As far as winning the NFC West, Seattle also controls their own destiny here, obviously, if they win. So it's a huge game. 
it feels like it should be week 17 instead of 16. Maybe we could flip it, finish the season with this thing. But, um, I, I, again, I can't wait to see. They only scored 13 points, uh, the Seahawks. And it was – they're in the middle – they're in the middle of a bit of a slump offensively. The second half versus the first half of the season, things have looked completely different outside of 40 points that they scored against the Jets. So I can't wait to see this this rematch with everything that the Rams are throwing at them defensively, schematically, Aaron Donald, as you mentioned, and what Seattle likes to do with the downfield passing attack. So it should be a really good one. And uh, what are your thoughts as far as we got Seattle by one and a half. So Vegas has them has them favored at home. Where would you lean here? I like the Rams. Um, I actually think this is a bad matchup for the Seahawks. I think that they don't have what is what's required to, to really cause that Rams offense problems the way the Jets did. And I don't like the way that the Rams defense matches up with Seattle's offense. I think they're going to have some issues. Russell Wilson might you know, make some turnover-worthy plays, cause some issues, give them a couple of drives back. So I kind of like the Rams to win outright. I'm really torn on this one because I, I agree there's a lot on paper that leans Rams, their strengths against uh, Seattle's strengths. <laughs> you know, I think lean in the Rams' favor here. But I like Seattle to bounce back. I think there's this element of my same analysis from the Titans and the Colts, the two teams that are just so close and evenly matched. It feels it feels like a sweep the other. So I think Seattle's going to find a way to make some adjustments. Uh, plus the home factor, man, for whatever that's worth. Maybe it helps Seattle just a little bit here. I like the Seahawks uh, to to cover the one and a half and win this game and, and to take the NFC West, man. I just I think overall the Seahawks are a better team uh, for the for the long term. So those are some those are some really good games this week. Those high end games. Uh, then it's all over the place. Look, we we downplayed last week's schedule. I don't want to do that again. I don't want to downplay the schedule because last week we had we saw two upsets, two double digit underdog upsets. So anything can happen in the NFL. Let's get to the Saturday slate. Tampa Bay Bucks at the Detroit Lions. They play at one o'clock on Saturday. There's an NFL triple header, Sam. I know you love that in December. So Bucks Lions. What are we looking for in this one? Yeah. Um... Tom Brady, the, the story with the Bucks is always Tom Brady and that offense. What does it look like? Has it got itself together? Have they got answers to whatever's being thrown at them? And, you know, last week they got away with a game that they were in a big hole uh, against the Falcons. I don't know that that actually said that much for them in terms of building and improving and all this kind of stuff. It felt like that was just, okay, they saved the season, right? They won the game. They at least maintained playoff standing. They should still make the playoffs. But it didn't exactly do an awful lot for the confidence of when teams throw something at them in the postseason that they're going to have a clear and obvious answer. They're going to have, they're going to know what they're doing to respond to that. It felt like, crap, we're in a hole. Oh, it, luckily, we have Mike Evans and Antonio Brown and Tom Brady, and we just have enough talent to dig our way out of it. This feels like a similar kind of game where I don't know that they're going to need creative answers to anything particularly difficult because it's the Detroit Lions defense. Um, so, you know, the, the Bucks are in this tricky spot of the regular season for them is not the important thing. You know, we know that this is Tom Brady chasing a ring outside of New England. So for them, what matters is what happens once they make the postseason. And I don't know that this game does anything for that. It's just it's just a game they have to get through. <laughs> to me, the big storyline when this you know, at the beginning of the season was going to be you know, Brady against a Belichick disciple in uh, Matt Patricia, which obviously Patricia's gone. 
but the last time Brady, a Brady-led team, faced Patricia and the Lions, they, the Lions defense actually did a pretty good job. And I think Brady has, uh, some of the Belichick disciples have done a really nice job against Tom Brady-led offenses. Now, my question is, what part of the storyline here for me was, is that because they know the New England offense really well or they know Tom Brady really well? To me, that's a fascinating thing. Like, how do you game plan for Tom Brady? Or the same way, how do you game plan for Patrick Mahomes or for Drew Brees? But even more so when you know those guys inside and out. You know Tom Brady inside and out. So we're not going to get to see that, is my point. Um, but, yeah, I expect – my thing is Tampa Bay has to play Detroit and Atlanta the next two weeks. You want that offense absolutely humming going into the playoffs and and giving some hope that they could go on a run because of their playmakers. That's what's going to happen. And then the defense uh, does have to do a better job, uh, like they were earlier in the year, of slowing down opposing passing attacks. They've been they've had their issues, I think, at the second half of the season. So you want to see a little bit more life from the Bucks defense and see that offense and all those playmakers humming. I, I expect them. I expect them to do a good job against this Detroit defense in a dome. And Sam, when Tom Brady's figuring out where he wants to play, this, the warm weather, he was trashing New England cold weather the other day. Yeah, It's again. because he wants December games like this. He wants to be in Tampa or he wants to be in back-to-back -back dome games in the NFC. That had to go into part of his decision-making going to the box. Yeah, I mean, the guy's old. Nobody, nobody, you know, when you get old, the cold weather starts to upset the joints. You don't like that. You want nice, you know, 65-degree-plus weather. Right. So he got what he wanted. December dome games. I expect Brady to throw the ball well. I expect the Bucks to move the ball. I think they could cover nine and a half in this one. Uh, Stafford's banged up again. If he plays, he's got all sorts of injuries. But if he plays, man, he has been balling out and he has been um, increasing his value, whether it's for the next regime with the Lions or for another team from a trade standpoint. And uh, I would just keep an eye on him because uh, St Stafford's going to be one of, one of the big storylines I think this offseason especially the way he's playing yeah um, PFF's green line our, our power ratings essentially put the difference between these two teams over 10 points on a neutral field so there is a monster like this shouldn't be a challenge for the Bucks. I mean famous last words given what happened last week with all the crazy upsets but this should be a relatively comfortable day at the office for Tom Brady that offense that is still good even if it does have some um, some weak spots and it's tough to say it's tough to see how Detroit can make this too uh, difficult a contest for them. All right, the second Saturday game is going to be on Amazon Prime, Sam. San Francisco 49ers at the Arizona Cardinals. Nick Mullins might be having Tommy John surgery, one of the rare quarterbacks to go under the knife for Tommy John. Uh, CJ Beathard gets the start for the Niners, so you get to see even more tin cup action from Kyle Shanahan going up against this Cardinals defense that all of a sudden has this incredibly fierce pass rush, man. Don't forget the potential of a Josh Rosen revenge game. Josh Rosen signed, been signed signed from the Tampa Bay practice squad act to the active roster for the 49ers because of that. So he'll be the backup, right? They If C.J. Beathard goes down, C.J. Beathard plays badly enough to get benched, either of which is possible. Rosen comes in against the team that cast him aside after a season of no-hope uh, play for a you know, cheaper, younger model. I don't want to spend a ton of time on Rosen, but and I know it's not as clean as there's 32 starting jobs and there's 32 backup jobs and what have you, but are you surprised that Rosen isn't at least one of the top 64 quarterbacks in the NFL? In other words, Nick Mullins got a shot before him. C.J. Beathard got a shot before him. 
all these other backup quarterbacks got a shot before him. Are you surprised that Rosen has been relegated to practice squad afterthought this early in his career? Um, not really. I, I think the way those things work is that the first 32 are the first 32, but after that, the rest kind of, it's just fit and they're interchangeable and it's, you know, where the, where the chairs are when the music stops, you know, and you need a gig. It's like, oh, look, everyone's kind of got, like nobody's booting their particular favorite backup that they've had for a while out of the building because you suddenly come available um, and could potentially upgrade on the second quarterback in your room. I No, I think he's definitely been unfortunate the way his career has unfolded, uh, particularly the way it started. Like his, his actual playing opportunity he had the worst situation a quarterback has had for a long time in two different spots and then is basically done right now right there's still a chance for him to rebuild that somewhere but it's very difficult for a guy who's buried on the depth chart to show anything anywhere because you just don't get any reps to, to do it um so he actually needs you know some luck to bounce his way and to get another opportunity somewhere and then who knows uh, looking on the other side of the ball, the 49ers have the very best coverage or a second best coverage grade in the NFL on passes up to 20 yards. This Cardinals offense, I, I think, goes back and there are certain games where they attack every level of the field really well. And you see because there's you've got your air raid principles with the screen game and some of the underneath stuff. And then you've got the deep passing attack with Kyler, with DeAndre Hopkins. You know, they sneak in one of their speed receivers, Christian Kirk and Andy Isabella, plus Kyler Murray's rushing ability. The Niners do a really good job with on the underneath stuff. They've done a, a really good job on passes up to 20. I think Kyler has to hit a couple of those downfield shots in this game. I, I like the Cardinals. I think they'll be fine, um, especially if Kyler runs the ball a little bit more like he has in recent weeks. I, I, I'm like a broken record, but I really think that's the key to this Arizona offense having balance. Kyler Murray, the runner, brings balance to the offense. They're favored by five. I don't really trust C.J. Beathard. Uh, based off what we've seen through the years, I like the Cardinals to win and cover. Yeah, it, it's a weird game, though. It's most of these division games where it's the second one that we've seen. The first one was, wasn't was long ago and is at least recent enough that you can learn something from it. This was all the way back in week one. It was the surprise that sort of announced, hey, the Arizona Cardinals might be better than we thought they were heading into the season. And, oh, and the 49ers might not be. Um, but we know week one is like madness, right? At this point, it's like another world. Who knows if it means anything, particularly for the 49ers who have just had so many injuries. And that really, I think, is the key for them that this, like, nobody is where they're supposed to be. You know, C.J. Beathard is a starting quarterback. George Kittle has been missing most of the year. Um, Debo Samuel can't make it back onto the field for more than a play before going out again. Right now, the entire offense runs through Brandon Ayuk um as a guy you know their first round pick but this 49ers offense as masterful as tin cup kyle shanahan is like this it's been absolutely wrecked by injury so you you do kind of have to like the cardinals so you're taking the cardinals to cover as well uh i mean divisional game you know, yeah sure all right yeah sure all right the third saturday game it's the minute the miami dolphins at the at vegas the las vegas raiders and we've got you've got the the Dolphins favored by three on the road. Matthew Stafford questionable with the groin injury that that showed up last Thursday night looked Derek pretty bad. Carr. So are we expecting Marcus Mariota in this one? And if we do, man, how much how much does Marcus Mariota change your opinion of the Raiders and their passing attack versus having Derek Carr in there? 
I'm kind of amazed that there's a chance he could actually go. Um, when he injured that groin, it was supposed to be a fairly serious one, um, you know, keep him out for a couple of weeks. And if anything, you know, Marcus Mariota made that easier for you, right? If Marcus Mariota had come in and been a disaster, then sure, all right, you might want to rush back Carr and try and get him into the lineup. But, you know, it's an injury that, that usually lasts a couple of weeks for a muscle injury like that. Marcus Mariota played really well. And you kind of already pissed away the playoffs, so what's the point in putting Derek Carr back out there? Um, and also, from your point of view, I'd be kind of interested to see if Marcus Mariota can increase, you know, put himself in the shop window. So, yeah, it's a little bit of a weird one in terms of the quarterback spot there. Yeah, the Mariota thing, again, I made the statement, he's a top 32 quarterback in the NFL. Again, it's not saying Mariota's the guy I want to build my entire team around, but... Uh, you know, when you compare him to other guys that were getting starting opportunities this year, I think Mariota is comparable. Uh, I think it's ironic that he might be able to have a, perhaps a resurgence that's similar to Ryan Tannehill, given that it was Tannehill that replaced Mariota and and in Tennessee, that offense has looked night and day one to the other, but it's not like revision revisionist history here. It's not like poor Tannehill didn't have any opportunities to elevate an offense or didn't have playmakers, didn't have anything for eight years. He was just a slightly above-average quarterback for eight years. And if we really look at Marcus Mariota's career, he's been a slightly above-average, you know, average to above-average quarterback for the majority of his career. So there could be that rejuvenation in Vegas or somewhere else. So I think it's a huge just showcase opportunity. Henry Ruggs coming off of COVID, he's still questionable, I think, for Saturday's game. He might go, he might not. I really hope the Raiders have their – their playmakers out there because that matchup with the Miami secondary could be a really good one. Yeah, and, and an interesting one as well because, you know, that Miami defense is uh, not just good, but it's creative. It dials up things to cause you specific problems. And that might even be another reason to go with Mariota because they've presumably been game planning for a Derek Carr and what they're going to throw at him. If you pull a bait and switch and throw Mariota out there at the last second, he's a very different kind of quarterback that probably has very different um ans- or very different things that you should be throwing at him from a defensive perspective so i would be inclined to mess with that if i could if i'm the raiders i was impressed with how much the raiders had ready for mariota from a run game perspective and uh what they were able to do on the fly against the chargers last thursday night and i think and i think that's an element of Mariota's game he's a really good runner obviously he's got great speed I don't think he's a great playmaker necessarily outside of structure but just like some of these other quarterbacks you raise the floor man when you get six eight ten carries per game Mariota might be able to add a little bit of that that uh, he didn't have the opportunity to do in Tennessee so Vegas with as three-point underdogs man I kind of like them I, I don't I don't trust Tua just yet I just don't he hasn't really played a clean game start to finish uh, had a rough red zone interception against the Patriots the other day. He's done a uh, look. He's I think he's been impressive as far as distributing the ball and um, you know shown some short area accuracy and things like that. But overall, I think he's lacking in the in the big play department. And I think that could hurt against a generally a pretty good uh, Vegas offense. Yeah, um, but the good thing for them is I don't know the Tua needs to be special because <laughs> the Raiders defense the Raiders hasn't defense. been able to stop many people. Um, I, I think he could have a relatively comfortable day at the office, and then it's it's a matter of what Brian Flores and this defense can dial up against the Raiders' offense that that really determines this game. I I like Miami here. All right, give me give me the Raiders 
as underdogs in this one. That's the last of the Saturday games. Let's go through those. Hey guys, life is full of questions. Like what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life-altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies, and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. The Sunday slate, New York Giants at the Baltimore Ravens. I'm watching the trenches in this one, man. The Giants, we, we've joked about their ability to, or their willingness to build a team like it was 1985 with all those big dudes in the middle, the Leonard Williams of the world and Dalvin Tomlinson's and Dexter Lawrence's. They've got just some great, uh, big, difficult to move guys up front and going up against the Ravens, def uh, Ravens offense that's starting to find their way as far as the run game and play action off of that. So... Be watching the trenches and see if New York can at least slow down a little bit of the Baltimore run game. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how successful they are at that because this Baltimore offense is starting to look like 2019 Baltimore, but a huge amount of that is because they've been able to have their way with the last couple of teams on the ground in the run game and rack up you know 300 yards in the last couple of weeks. Um, and that, it makes everything they do function. Like that's what we were talking about. Why has this Baltimore offense kind of gone off the rails a little bit? And there was the story that they'd become predictable and all those kinds of things. But from a, like at a most basic level, it was because they weren't able to run the ball as successfully as they were last year, right? Lamar Jackson wasn't as effective. The, the running backs weren't as effective. The offensive line wasn't as good. All of these things had just led to a less impactful run game, which in turn made the passing game less impactful. And if you have all of those things start to erode and start to fall to pieces a little bit, they're just not as good as they were, particularly when the system hasn't evolved and hasn't developed an extra answer. So the last couple of weeks, it's got back on track, but it's like the Baker Mayfield question. It's, is that actually what's happened or have they just found a more beneficial environment and taken advantage of it? Yeah, again, on the PFF NFL Daily, we discuss who the best team is in the AFC North. I, I make a case that the third place team the Ravens, third place team in the AFC North is actually the best team. All of that analysis, it's going to be fun. Again, when Baltimore has the ball going up against this Giants defense, hashtag fun to watch. It's not going to make a difference, though, I don't think, if Colt McCoy has to play quarterback again. Daniel Jones is questionable. I love watching Colt McCoy play because it just feels like it feels like he's just got to be so good in, in just quarterbacking things and anticipation and accuracy. And But you're just you're working with a limited skill set there. Um, and we saw that against the Browns on Sunday Night Football. They just could not move the ball efficiently. And I think they'll struggle again moving the ball if it's Colt McCoy. And Daniel Jones, again, all we know is questionable as of now. But Jones is their best hope because he can get the ball down the field. And he's doing so as efficiently as any quarterback in the NFL. Very quietly this year, Daniel Jones doing a nice job throwing the ball 20-plus yards. Yeah, I mean, they're obviously a better team when Daniel Jones is the quarterback, um, if he's healthy, and that's the big problem, right? Last time they tried to rush him back, he wasn't really able to move. <laughs> Basically yeah. invalidates all of that and makes him probably a worse option than Colt McCoy. So if he is there, um, they have a shot. If he isn't, I, I mean, not even a shot. They, they're closer. If Colt McCoy is the quarterback, I don't think they can even really keep this that close. 
Uh, one thing, by the way, just jumping back to the Detroit-Tampa Bay game for a second. Um, Detroit had some issues with COVID this, this week, um, and it's left their coaching staff. <laughs> oh, thought I was going to sneeze. Not going to happen. Um, it left their coaching staff in a weird spot. Almost all of their defensive staff members are considered close contacts, as is interim head coach Daryl Bevel. So <laughs> the Lions don't really have anyone that could coach at the moment on the sideline, which, you know, it's probably can't help the game plan. Let's put it that way. Look, uh, we've seen uh, Hugh Freeze coached from a uh, hospital bed. You're not allowed in the NFL, right? You can't, it, no communication from outside of the stadium. You've got to be in the building. That's right. Now, maybe they can like put winch him, him up in a, can you put him in like a hermetically, per, yeah, per guy. like a hermetically gets, sealed suite where you just, you yeah. know, vacuum pack it and let him go? I think that's the only way to do it. Okay. Uh, yeah, that, that does throw a bit, bit of a curveball into that Bucks lions matchup, which is, it's, it's on Saturday as well. So it's an earlier right. matchup. We'll see if they end up moving that potentially. I doubt it though. No. The Island game that Austin. We're just going to let Matthew Stafford run his own offense. Oh, he could do that. Chuck it deep. Right. Uh, Ravens by 11 here in the they're, they're favored by 11 here I think they I think they cover they, they're in this 2019 mode where they're going to win games you know 45 to you know 12 or something like that and you know they might run away with this one uh, I definitely think they'll win I could see the Giants keeping it closer if just because I think that defense will provide a sterner test to Baltimore's feisty. run game I've, I've soured on the feisty Giants defense <laughs> they're just feisty feisty means they can go either way that's okay. my excuse for it. They're just, they're average. I like Baltimore in this one. Uh, Cincinnati Bengals at the Houston Texans. Bengals coming off of an incredible upset that I called over the Pittsburgh Steelers. I nailed it, Sam. I said that the Bengals would pull an upset over the Steelers this season. Yeah, unfortunately you said that after, before the first game where they got their asses handed to them. It doesn't matter. Uh, Ryan, the, the, to me, the, the, the most fascinating thing you about should go this back is and, uh, You should go back and pull it out now and drop it like it was, like it was what you said before the game. No one will know. I was tweeting it the other day, and you know, half the people didn't get it. Half the people were laughing at me. Half the people were saying, "You idiot! You said Joe Burrow was going to lead the. He's, he's not even there." <laughs> oh, you'd have to, yeah, so, you'd have to edit that part out. I'm sure Tyler can take care of that. Yeah, Tyler, make it make it sound like I called that. Uh, to me, the biggest takeaway of the, this watching the Cincinnati offense, Ryan Finley has like a 15 yard touchdown run on a keeper. To it, I think it just showed Ryan Finley. He's not even sneaky fast. He's a below average NFL quarterback from an athleticism standpoint but just having a quarterback be able to keep it every now and again to keep the defense honest really makes a fact you know makes a difference and you could take a below average guy and you know pick up 15 randomly and they started to do it too much all of a sudden they started to put the ball in Finley's hands way too much and Pittsburgh's like come on guys like you're not going anywhere here but just being able to keep it every now and again I think it just shows the value of the QB as any kind of threat in the running uh, in the run game and what it opens up for uh for the rest of your running backs in in the offensive line yeah um is it does this feel like a huge line to you eight points for a team eight point favorites the texans and it's the texans like they're bad okay they have deshaun watson who's really good and i will grant you that if you're going to be you know dramatically better um than the opposition in one spot quarterback is a quite useful position for it to be in right now the difference between uh finley who has a 62 PFF grade and Deshaun Watson, who has a 92 PFF grade is probably the biggest that you're going to find in a one-on-one -on -one quarterback matchup this week, or in fact, any week. Um, so it's huge, but like Houston isn't good. 
I think that's the difference. I also think there's, I think it's Vegas looking at the emotional factor too. The Bengals home on Monday night football against the Steelers, emotional division win that they shouldn't have, they shouldn't have been in. And now it's like, Oh, go to Houston and, and, and play the Texans. And so I, I think that's a factor in this whole thing. And uh, the, the point you made is the exact reason for it. Deshaun Watson versus Ryan, Ryan Finley is at least worth a touchdown, no matter what else is there. And both supporting casts are both average, below average, right? So they're similar in that respect. And then there's a, a big quarterback difference. I don't think it's crazy. I would even probably call – I'd call Houston to cover because of the emotional letdown coming back from Cincinnati. I'm not trusting another Ryan Finley-led offense here this week. <laughs> yeah, and that's where uh, PFF Green Line leans as well. Like, we, they think the Lions should be bigger than eight points. I'm just – it's one of those games where you're like, okay, the Texans are a bad team, and if you're saying they're going to cover a touchdown and more against any team, I'm out. I'm not – I can't. That scares me too much. All right. So you're going, you're going Cincinnati here? Only to cover. I mean, obviously to Houston cover. are going to win because they have the better quarterback and it's not Ryan Finley. Um, but the, I wouldn't shock me if the Bengals cover that. The Texans are challenging my notion that an elite quarterback guarantees you like seven wins. Just you stumble into seven wins and then if you have an average team, you have 10. If you have an above average team, you're 12 or 13. Like they're really challenging that as much as possible, but they'll finish strong here. Yeah, and also you have to bear in mind the schedule they've been dealing with, right? Like, I mean, the opening obviously was an absolute disaster train wreck that set them off on this spiral. They fired the head coach. They fire the they, they fire everybody in the building, and even just getting through the rest of the season involves you know living in a division with two ten and four teams as of now, right? Tennessee, Indianapolis, they both have ten wins, so it's tough to find wins on their schedule. You know what I mean? Like they might be a seven and nine team in any other season, but right now it's like, where are those wins coming from? A seven and nine team in a vacuum is right now four and 10 and, you know, just struggling to find wins in their schedule. But this would put them, you know, five and 10. Who's their final game? Their final game might be winnable as well, in which case they're only a game back from your where you think they should be. Are they, I forget who they play. Do they play Jacksonville? No, they don't play Jacksonville. Their final game is against Tennessee, who, you know, okay, so they probably lose that. But this win, should they get it, would put them at five. So if they finish the season five and 11, they're only two games back from where you think a quarterback should break you with one of the worst worst schedules you're going to see. That's pretty significant, I think. I don't know. Anyway, Houston's going to win this one. And I say they cover. And here we go. Chicago Bears at the Jacksonville Jaguars. Sorry, Jets fans. I'm telling the Jaguars to watch the college football playoff. Trevor Lawrence in Clemson against Ohio State, Sam. What? Because they have a quarterback battle of their own. They haven't named a starter. It's Gardner Minshew versus Mike Glennon to the death. And the winner starts against Chicago and gets to look, gets to go head on head, head to head with Mitchell Trubisky. For the right wow. to back up Trevor Lawrence. I mean, is Jake Luton healthy? Is this the time to trot him back out there? Just to just ensure, for, just to make sure that the number one overall pick isn't going anywhere? Look, we got to get a long look at Jake. I mean, he's got to get a long look. Give that's, him the reps. that's how you tank, right? Like, it doesn't happen in games. Once the right. whistle blows and the, the opening kickoff is sent, everybody is trying to win that football game. The way to tank is to ensure that the people out there on the field are not actually capable of winning the game that takes you away 
from the number one overall pick. So, yes, if Jake Luton is alive, throw him out there. Um, but, yeah, this is intriguing to me, right? Jacksonville obviously needs to lose this game to maintain their hold on Trevor Lawrence and that number one overall pick, a potentially franchise-changing player that can come in and completely alter the course of that division, of the league, of that franchise. And then on the other side, you have people genuinely talking themselves into one more go-round on the Mitchell Trubisky carousel after the last couple of weeks, which is just mind-blowing to me. Yeah. I, I, I just wanted that to sink in for a minute. I, some, I honestly don't understand with, with how you dead could... air. I honestly don't understand how you could like sign up for that having actually watched Trubisky since he came into the NFL. Like you, you, you would genuinely need to have not remembered anything that's happened previously in the Mitchell Trubisky saga in order for, for you to buy into that. You would have to go straight from like college Trubisky to now. Okay. Yeah. I can see how he could be viable going forward. It's like, no. Well, I, I think it's fair to explain why, because again, our baseline it, I don't even look at stats sometimes. I look at I look at a grade or watch a guy play and, and as I'm watching him play, knowing what I know about the grade, which I do believe is the best way to determine how well a guy plays, you know, how well he's contributed. You know, that's how I evaluate players and, and quarterbacks in particular. So I'm not getting sucked into uh, his last three weeks, say 108 passer rating, 126, 97 points. I'm not getting sucked into that, right? So, why would our Bears fans getting sucked into that? Or are there a few people getting sucked into, hey, Trubisky's playing well, the stats are good, the offense does look better. I told you a couple of weeks ago, they did a great job of rollouts and screens and putting him in position to succeed. But we're still like, we're coming off a game where he threw the ball only 21 times. Yes, he's added value with his legs, fine. He threw the ball 21 times, threw an end zone interception to almost blow the game or bring the Vikings back into the game last week. It's just, it's a joke. I don't think you've seen anything the last three weeks that says, yeah, I want that. Even like, if you had, up. right? Even if you had, look at the defenses. Detroit, Houston, and Minnesota are the last three teams they've played, right? Those are three bad defenses that, of course, he's going to look good against. Secondly, in none of those three games does he have a PFF grade above 70. Like Again, this is 2018 Trubisky, right, where the numbers look great, but the grade didn't because it wasn't him. It was a product of other things like bad defense and uh, an offense that is actually functional once the quarterback plays at a half-viable level. The idea that you could look at the last few weeks and be like, yep, Trubisky's turned a corner, he's got it, is just madness. It's ridiculous. And the point I want to make is even if he was putting up 80, 85 PFF grades, say for three straight games, Still would wouldn't mean convinced? anything. Would that be enough for you, Sam, to say, okay, maybe there is something here. Like, if he really finished the season strong, playing really well from a grading standpoint, not a statistical standpoint, would that even influence you? Because I don't know. I, I, don't, I think the body of work would be too strong in the other direction. I don't think I'd get sucked in. Certainly not for the That's last— That's not even happening. Yeah, certainly not for the last three weeks. If you made it five, you know, to end the season, like a full five-week stretch, I could maybe at least see a case— but no, it's ridiculous. Like Trubisky, there's too much evidence of him being the problem for you to be like, oh, they've they found the key to Trubisky and it's it's unlocked the player we saw in college and everything is great. Like it's no, it's not. It hasn't happened. Well, it won't happen. It's done. Bottom line, the last couple of weeks, I, I think he's played okay. He's been he's played fine. They've done nice things offensively. But what you see on tape is 
here's this rollout dump off for 20, or here's a slant with broken tackle that goes for 30, and then here's a, a quick out that he misses, a, a gimme quick out that he misses. And the net of that is is pretty good, but it's because of other stuff. It's because of the yards after the catcher. It's because of the scheme, because uh, he's he's missing more throws than he should that are actually open and schemed open for him. So I credit the Bears for doing a nice job building around him these last couple of weeks. And we'll probably come out of this Jacksonville game with the same discussion, Sam. Like he, They will most likely move the ball and do Jacksonville defense. It's seven and a half right now. Green likes it. Green line likes it more, more like seven, right? With the, with the bears. So Jacksonville to cover, or do you think they're just, they're going to do a few things to get into. Let's ensure that we lose this game type of mode. <laughs> I mean, I could see them covering like, you know, we talk, but it depends who starts for, for one thing. We've talked before about how Gardner Minshew tends to like, you know, a backdoor cover tends to be pretty good at that. He's got enough moxie to keep it vaguely close, but, um, you know, they, they, the Bears should have success. Even true. This is another game where Trubisky should look pretty good because Jacksonville's defense is bad. Um, and, you know, they should be, the, Chicago's defense is actually good. So Chicago should win this game fairly comfortably, but, you know, Trubisky or uh, Minshew has that ability to, you know, ruin a cover for you. Yeah, Bears win, Jags cover. I'm going to roll with that one. Atlanta Falcons at the Kansas City Chiefs. The the Chiefs, oh boy, their offense going up against this Atlanta defense. It's not the same Atlanta defense that they were earlier in the year. They were giving it up at a ridiculous rate. They are playing a little bit better, but they did get told. They, I don't think they have any answers, really, for the Chiefs. No. Um, I, I don't think they do. They, this is a – only certain teams in the NFL have a defense that's even vaguely capable of slowing down an offense like Kansas City. And as much as the Falcons' defense might have improved, it's not one of them. Um, Chief, the, Chiefs by 10.5 yeah, as of right now. I, I think the Chiefs should be able to put up points, you know, seemingly at will the way they normally do. I think their defense is going to have some answers to what the Falcons do, at which point – you know, it should be a fairly comfortable Kansas City win. And you know my indoor-outdoor analysis here. The Falcons actually have to go outdoors here for one, you know, one of their handful of outdoor games. It's December. Matt Ryan outdoors with the Falcons offense. But Ryan played really well in the Dome last week. He's He's been just so up and down uh, this season. And Kansas City's defense, We've another thing we've said every week, they do a nice job on that, you know, the 10-plus yard range. Uh, outside of a couple games this year where they've gotten torched really down the field. But Matt Ryan is an intermediate thrower, 10 to 19-yard range. That's where he likes to attack. It's where Kansas City really does their best job of discouraging open throws. I, I think everything about this matchup does scream blowout for Kansas City. Yeah, it's, you know, it's tough to find a way that the Falcons can really live with the Chiefs on either side of the ball, really. Um, it, but the one thing that that... I don't know if this is even in their favor, but Kansas City has been a little bit like Green Bay in that they haven't been stomping teams that they're expected to stomp this season. They found ways of keeping it closer than you would have expected and, and finding it not difficult because kind of the the sort of the signature to this Chiefs offense is that it, it's so easy for them, but struggling relatively 
for periods of the game and then you know ultimately finding the place to put it away and, and wrapping up the win but there's definitely a way that they you know cause themselves some problems with mistakes or drops or whatever and don't cover a monster number yeah just to put some numbers to what i said before the falcons are giving up the third most yards on deep passes so whatever your point's valid as far as hey maybe the chiefs haven't dominated like they should it just the matchups here third most deep yards given up by the falcons and the chiefs have given up five fewer receptions in that intermediate range 10 to 19 yard range five fewer receptions than any other team second best passer rating at that level again that's matt ryan deep out dig route that's his range where he needs to attack and i just don't think they'll be able to do it against this chiefs defense i think the chiefs cover the 10 and a half and, and run away with this one against the falcons and uh let's go cleveland browns at the new york jets here so jets fans you also can watch clemson ohio state because justin fields has played in that game don't worry you're going to watch the same game but maybe you actually wanted to watch the uh whatever bowl it was it was just a ridiculous name bowl uh, just Tuesday night here, Zach Wilson of BYU making a play to become QB2. He's got a good feel. I've seen some Tony Romo comps for Zach Wilson, and I, I actually I made that one in my head. A couple of the ways he, he maneuvers the pocket, the way he throws, maybe a little Romo-ish Zach Wilson skill set. So Jets fans, fire up the DVR for that one. And uh, yeah, watch Clemson, Ohio State. Just watch the Ohio State offense a little bit closer. Yeah, and Wilson is having this Joe Burrow-esque, you know, skyrocket up the draft board this season. Um, The issue for him is that there's a Trevor Lawrence this year, so he's not going to get all the way to number one, but he could easily get all the way to number two based off what we've seen. I think he's the guy with the highest, you know, PFF grade of any of these quarterbacks this season. It's not Trevor Lawrence. It's not Justin Fields. They're all above 90, I think, but it is Wilson who's, who's up there. But this is this is an intriguing matchup for uh, for Justin Fields to see what he can do coming off a game that wasn't his best um, and did start to raise some of those red flags for people. Um, this is a game to watch for them because uh, you know you just blew the number one overall pick. And as far as the real NFL football game here, Cleveland Browns, they are playing in this game at the Jets now. The old Browns might have a bit of a, a letdown here. Maybe they would have had a letdown. Last week against the Giants coming off a tough loss against the Ravens. They did take care of business here. The fact that the Browns are in take care of business mode, it's incredible. It's incredible that we've gotten here, Sam, but that's where we are. The Browns have to at least take care of business here, right? You got to take care of the Jets. Uh, the Jets played a really good football game last week. And, and you have to ask yourself, Sam Darnold, one of the streakier quarterbacks in the NFL. We've seen really excellent three and four game stretches from him. Is he in the middle of a really good three-game stretch to to finish the season. And if Darnold plays the way he did last week, they could put a scare into the Browns. I don't know if he could do it again, but the Browns have to – they can't be looking ahead to the Steelers in Week 17, which could be for the division, right? If the Steelers lose to the Colts and the Browns win this week, it is Week 17 for the division. For the first time since, like, 1960, the Browns are going to potentially win the division – but can't get ahead of yourselves, have to take care of business against the Jets this week. The Jets could be tough if they played the way they did last week against the Rams. Yeah, I mean, I'm not hitching my wagon to Sam Darnold. He's got two game grades this season above 80 last week, and the previous one was week two. So I, the chances of him having another one this week is it's not exactly high. Um, it's possible because Cleveland's 
you know, defense is not great, but I'm, I wouldn't be banking on that. Um, the interesting thing is, I think, the Jets' defense, though, because they showed up against the Rams, um, showed that they were, you know, capable of causing some major problems, particularly up front, right? They, they dominated the trenches against the Rams, really wrecked that interior offensive line. And Cleveland, they've had the best offensive line in the NFL this season, but they're now dealing with some injuries. Wyatt Teller has gone down. They hope to have him back from the playoffs. Chris Hubbard sprained his knee early in that game um, last week in, re in relief of Wyatt Teller. So they're down to a third string right guard against this defensive front that just took a sledgehammer to the Los Angeles Rams. So, you know, Quinn and Williams could basically go nuts against Cleveland's right guard. And, you know, it's one of those one-on-one -on -one matchups that it's a right guard, so who really cares? But it's potentially a big enough problem that suddenly the Browns offense has to scheme around that. Yeah, Quinn's in concussion protocol. We'll see if he's available there. Then they also have... My boy, Folo Fadakasi, who is just one of the better run defenders in the NFL every single uh, – the last few years yeah. on the defensive interior. He didn't play last week uh, uh, against uh, the Rams, but uh, the Jets have done a nice job as, as up front. You know, it's one of those things that the whole team isn't trash. You know, they do have some strengths, and in, in they're uh, up front. They can do a, a decent job against the run. And we saw that the Giants were able to as well and at least hold the Browns to just, you know, you know, keep them under 30, right? Keep them at 20 points. So the Jets could keep it close here. Um, I don't think it's a pushover. I just don't know what to make of the Jets. They looked like they were pushovers two weeks ago against Seattle, and yeah. then they come and upset the Rams. So are they playing the emotional roller coaster too? I, I don't really know. And will the Browns, will they be looking ahead? There's a lot of the more off- not on paper, off the field, emotional questions here. The Browns are favored by nine and a half. I'd probably lean the Browns, but I don't. I, I wouldn't put the past. I wouldn't put the past. I wouldn't put it past the Jets going on a bit of a run here at the end of the season, playing better football. I can certainly see the Jets covering this. I think the Browns win and probably win comfortably, but I could see the Jets keeping it close enough to cover a nine and a half point spread, um, just because. You know, Cleveland is dealing with that that injury on the offensive line that could suddenly become an Achilles heel, and their defense is still not good, right? The Jets' offense should be able to function because everybody functions against Cleveland's defense. I'm going to make a ridiculous statement here. I, I think this game might actually say more about Kevin Stefanski, the head coach, than next week against the Steelers. I, I, think, I, I think as a head coach, keeping your team focused against bad teams in games you're supposed to win from a long-term perspective for the Browns might be more important than just beating the Steelers in week 17. Okay. Ridiculous statement. Yeah. I, I just think it's important. <laughs> take it one, the ability to take it one game at a time and not, if, if they become a roller coaster, like other coaches, then you become an eight and eight team every single year going forward outside of a few lucky games. So uh, I think it's an important game for Stefanski and the Browns. I think they do. I think, I think they, t they do take care of business though. Um, drink. If, Every time I say take care of business, you're drunk. Okay. Uh, Denver Broncos at the Los Angeles Chargers. Just one last for that, for that last game. One-on-one -on -one matchup to watch. Mekhi Becton, the rookie left tackle, going up against uh, Miles Garrett. M Garrett has jumped around left to right side of the line. Last week, it was almost all on that side. If they face one-on-one, -on -one, that'll be fun to watch. Um, yeah, it's, it's always interesting to watch a guy like Becton just because he's so freaking huge and how he deals with, with different types of 
uh, edge rushers, you know, smaller guys, faster guys, bigger guys, whatever. Like, Miles Garrett is also a physical freak. Just those two going up against each other will be pretty uh, must-see TV. Uh, there's a lot to watch in this game. Giving the viewers something to watch in, in Browns-Jets this week. I'll be keeping an eye on that matchup for sure. Uh, AFC West, it's a battle for last place. Five and nine Broncos versus the five and nine Chargers. Uh, we've we've beat a dead horse, I think, with the Drew Locke stuff. Uh, there's, there's questions about his future in Denver. Uh, even if he does finish strong here at the end of the season, is it going to be enough? Do you really want to hit your wagon to Drew Locke going forward? And Chargers moving the other way with Justin Herbert. You feel good about what you've seen yeah. from him. You just want to see him finish strong. I'm going to be fascinated to see. I don't think Anthony Lynn lasts through the offseason. What is the head coaching decision uh, to build, you know, for Justin Herbert? You know, who who is going to be the guy that is going to uh, bring in an offensive coordinator for Justin Herbert, build around that skill set and all of the promise that he showed this year? I think that's going to be an interesting offseason move. I, I like the Chargers. I think they're a, a better all-around team, plus Denver is absolutely depleted on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, and they're losing some guys, or they've got some questions on offense as well. Garrett Bowles, one of the Pro Bowl snubs, is questionable with an illness. Noah Fant, questionable. Um, they've got some problems. For them, it's really about just seeing something from Drew Locke, right? Something more than, you know, an occasional flash of a big-time throw. Any quarterback in the NFL can flash a big-time throw and convince you that that's why they're a starter going forward. That was literally how Brock Osweiler got handed a $72 million contract because of, like, 10 throws where you looked at him and you're like, oh, wow, look, if he can make those 10 throws, we can turn this guy into, into anybody. Like, that's not how you become a good quarterback. That's just what NFL quarterback talents can do. In order to be an NFL quarterback, you need to show some kind of development in the things that are wrong with your game. So right now, Drew Locke can, th- can show, you know, those flashes of big-time ability, but doesn't have, like, the simpler stuff on a consistent basis and won't, you know, check the ball down and take the easy option and, and all those kinds of things. So... He just needs to show some kind of growth in all these games. And we haven't really seen that from him. I don't know that they can really um, piece that together going forward. I think his time there is coming to an end. But if he shows some kind of uh, growth, then maybe he can at least be uh, still in the plans, right? Maybe he takes a backseat to somebody for one year and then gets another shot at it. Yeah, the whole still in the plans thing, I think, is where I'm at week 16, 17, end of the year, when you know teams are out of the playoffs, who's going to be a part of the rebuild? I think what the Broncos do from a quarterback situation and what the Chargers do from a coaching situation, again, are going to be two just offseason big stories. So I'm watching it through that lens. Who's, you know, who are the impressive players? Who's going to be looking good, uh, you know, as part of this rebuild here? If you want to hear more about Garrett Bowles as a Pro Bowl snub, also that was on the PFF Daily as well, uh, three shows ago we went into the Pro Bowl snubs. We said, look, the, the daily was built for Pro Bowl snub episodes because we we didn't want to lose our cadence. We're previewing games. We're reviewing games. We don't have time to go on rants about the Pro Bowl. So the daily has it a couple shows ago. So go and check that out. Uh, it's the PFF NFL daily. And we talked about what the Pro Bowl got it right and wrong. That The title is what got what they got right and wrong, but we just go about what they just discuss what they got wrong for the most part here. Uh, where are you leaning? I, I really like the Chargers to to win this game, yep. uh, to maybe cover 
the three. I, I just feel much better about where the the Chargers are trending here. Yeah, same. I win and cover. I think you know, obviously Justin Herbert is a better quarterback than Drew Locke at this point, but Denver also has some pretty major problems in terms of who they're missing with injury and just how everything is going. You've got to like the Chargers. All right. Do we have a sneaky good game here in the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles at the Dallas Cowboys? Is this sneaky good <laughs> with Jalen Hurts led Eagles with Andy Dalton and Dallas and their playmakers? Uh, it's almost like too little too late from both teams showing signs of life. I know the Eagles lost last week, but signs of life from both offenses in recent weeks. It could be a good one. Yeah, they're out, though, right? They're not like still alive in the division. I think Dallas still is. Dude. You're not interested you're the in, the, in the NFC the East yeah. playoff permutation still? You're the NFC East expert. Dallas is favored by two and a half. Does that surprise you? Dallas favored. Uh, to me, this is two straight weeks of Vegas not buying into Jalen Hurts hype. Uh, or yeah. it's just the Eagles defense. The Eagles defense has played as poorly as Dallas's defense played earlier in the year. And I think sometimes because Dallas's defense was so bad early on, no matter who they played. It just gets stuck in your head. Dallas, bad defense, bad defense. They've played a little bit better in recent weeks. The Eagles have started to play Cowboys-like defense here the way they were earlier in the year. So maybe that's the difference. Yeah, I mean, at one point, Dallas was giving up by far the worst passer rating against of any team in the NFL. It was like you know 125 points or something like that since week seven they're basically exactly where the Eagles are. They're at like 105, which sounds like a lot, but in today's NFL, that's slightly worse than average. Like the average passer rating today's in 2020 is 98. So it's only slightly worse off. Dallas's defense, you're right, has taken a step in the right direction. I think they're still vulnerable, particularly um, against the run. But th this Dallas team right now looks a little bit like how we thought the whole season was going to go once they lost Dak Prescott, right? Which is a hell of a lot worse, bad, but not catastrophic, not the, the sort of joke that it became for a big stretch. Andy Dalton has looked viable. Those receivers are good. The defense, like there's some talent there. It, it was never, there was never a reason for it to be as catastrophically bad as it was earlier in the season. And suddenly, they're capable of winning some games. And yet, both these teams are still alive in the NFC East playoff picture. With Jalen Hurts, how much, do you, how much do you buy the fact that the offense has created more big plays, that they have looked better, but the actual PFF grade is just as poor as what Carson Wentz was trotting out there? I mean, the passing grade is almost identical yeah. to what Wentz had when he was out there. He, it, Hurts was better last week. Um, he's had some turnover luck. He's had some turnover not so luck because of the, you know, some fumbles. Uh, how much do you make of this element of, yeah, you can rally your teammates and the run game's better and all these different things uh, versus how, let's let's just hold on here because he's not actually throwing the ball well on a throw-for-throw -throw basis. So there's a couple of things. First of all, um, the the turnover luck is massively significant, right? Because right now, the team is better with Jalen Hurts there because they haven't had these turnovers. They haven't been punished with these plays that set your your offense back and cause massive negative EPA and all those kinds of things, right? Those are literal game killers, and Carson Wentz was killing them, and Jalen Hurts hasn't been so far, not because necessarily he hasn't exposed them to the same risk, 
but just because they haven't been punished for it yet. So right now, the PFF grades are in a similar spot because of that. But things like EPA and things that measure overall offensive efficiency will be massively favoring Jalen Hurts because they haven't been punished for the mistakes that he has made. Um, and then secondly, there is something to this. Immediately, you at least had a baseline that Jalen Hurts wasn't going to like run himself in a circle and then fall over in a sack, right? And it's sometimes difficult to identify exactly who's at fault with all of those because you know you can make a case that this initial pressure started him moving and that's that was the start of the dominoes falling but eventually when there's so many of them it's probably the quarterback causing it um and that's i think where we settled with the carson wentz thing that he just became such a problem with his play that everything was everything around him was worse and it was hard to actually evaluate what was going on around him i think hurts is giving you a baseline of play that's at least high enough for you to figure out what else the problem is, and he's dodged some bullets. So I, I think, you know, down the last couple of games, it would be quite a run of luck for him to avoid getting punished for all of those turnover-worthy plays if he maintains the same kind of pace in terms of those that he has for the first couple of weeks. So we might see the turnovers regress and the Eagles offense therefore struggle a, a little bit more because of them or the team struggle. But I think his baseline of like, at least you can see what else is functioning will still be there. Yeah. It's going to be an interesting one the next couple of weeks, especially if that grade doesn't improve. Uh, but there is some efficiency offensively that they hadn't had before. Uh, one stat that I think sums up both teams defensively, only two teams in the NFL, Sam have a pass rush grade better than 75 as a team. Yet a coverage grade under 50, and it's the Cowboys and the Eagles. It's this one. The Eagles, once again, have the number two pass rush in the NFL, just from a pure grading standpoint. If there is a team that has backed up the general PFF statistical take that coverage is more important than pass rush, it is the Eagles. Because their pass rush has not changed since 2015. Their efficiency rushing the passer has not changed since 2015. But their success on defense has directly correlated to how well they cover on the back end, to how well uh, their secondary plays, to how well their linebackers play. And their peak was 2017 when they won the Super Bowl. Every year around that was up and down. And this year, it is it is down. So two teams that do a pretty good job of rushing the passer and overall have done a pretty bad job of covering on the back end. I like the uh, – I'm buying into the Hurts' uh, offensive efficiency. I think he'll play a little bit better. Uh I don't know if he's going to turn the, you know, have those turnover-worthy plays again this week against Dallas. I like Philly to win and cover, uh, but I think it's going to be a sneaky good game because uh, both teams, uh, they're, they're just different, as you had mentioned earlier from over these last couple of weeks. Where are you leaning in Eagles-Cowboys? Um, I, I could talk myself into Dallas winning this. Uh, I don't like how that offensive line is going to hold up against Philadelphia's defensive front, but it has kind of started to look more like the Dallas we thought we were going to get, which is still viable despite the problems. Um, I think Dallas... The people are asking about my Christmas tree. Yeah. Lean in here. I think Dallas might sneak it. Dad, does this tree look like it's going to fall? The people are waiting for the tree to fall on the uh, on the camera here. I think here. we're just dealing with, like, perspective, right? Or, it looks you know... good, right? I think my camera might be... T no, actually, as I look at it, it might be slanted a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. It's almost, yeah. It, we only have two more days before. Yeah, we just, it's got to hold on for two more days and then we're good. All right. Thanks, Dad. You're on. 
You're this, on TV. This is perfect. You are. We're live. So, um, <laughs> but I called you over to check the tree. All right, we sorted it out. We're good. We believe it's going to hold up for the next couple of days, and that's all that matters. It's going to be down on the 26th. Okay. All right. All right. Did you finish your take on Dallas? Yeah, I, I think they're going to win. I think they're going to sneak it. Oh, I, I wouldn't be surprised either way. I was talking myself into it both ways as we talked through it. So I'm leaning Philly just because uh, that was the last thing I thought. Uh, Carolina Panthers at the football team. Uh, another sneaky good game. Look at the football team. They have to... They're going to be in the playoffs, man. If they if they could take care of business, drink again. Uh, football team riding that defense, and uh, it's a pretty good matchup, I think, on that side of the ball. Carolina's offense against the Washington football team defense here, Sam. Yeah, um, and the chaos of what Washington is going to be doing at quarterback since Dwayne Haskins got himself into crap again. Uh, you know, maskless at a strip club. I mean, rookie mistake, really. Rookie mistake for a guy that should be into sophomore mistakes at this point. Oh, <laughs> So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, it's this is an interesting game because these are two teams that are sort of building from a really low starting point, obviously. Carolina has been overachieving given what we thought they were going to do, but Teddy Bridgewater has been a solid bridge quarterback, pun intended, uh, but I don't know if he's shown you anything more than that. You know, there was the contract they signed him to was structured in such a way that, you know, he had a shot to maybe win a job for a, a relatively long period of time. But they have to still be in the quarterback market, given how he's been playing, I would say. Um, and then you have Washington, whose quarterback situation is a mess because Dwayne Haskins can't get out of his own way. And Alex Smith, you know. Yeah, they have no faith in Haskins. They didn't no. earlier. They don't now. Uh, Alex Smith is day-to-day, -day, by the way. They're expecting him to play. Um, and Sam, I know you're a Teddy Bridgewater fan, but I think we've all acknowledged he's on the Alex Smith spectrum of generally taking care of the ball and not making those special downfield throws, you know, or making those at the lower end. But he hasn't, the rest, that's the, the thing, the right? Is that he, he hasn't even done that well this season. Like I his know. turnover worthy play rate is 3%, which is marginally less than Dwayne Haskins has been. Like he, he's actually put the ball in harm's way significantly more than you would anticipate Teddy Bridgewater putting the ball in harm's way. They have kind of coaxed him into being a little bit more aggressive and occasionally dialing up a deep shot. Um, but he hasn't been this, he hasn't been this hyper, uh, hyper um, efficient quarterback and hyper risk averse. He's actually, you know, turned it over more than he should. I'm with you. Sorry to distract you, but an ornament did fall. We might see it, it might go down. Okay. We'll see what happens here. Um, you're right. I mean, it, it, he's supposed to be Alex Smith, take care of the ball. He's supposed to be that guy and hasn't been. And he's gotten away with some stuff this year. But I think it's interesting that to see these two guys head-to-head, -head, hopefully it is Alex Smith back and healthy. Uh, it, the Washington football team is is riding their defense into a playoff push here. And I think they – I don't know if they're going to be able to win a game in the playoffs, but they get the number three rated PFF defense. They're it, they're right up there from a pass rush standpoint. They're covering a lot better. They're number two in that area. Like they're, they're good in the right areas defensively. It, it, that is one of the stories – of the season i like them to continue that here against carolina they're favored by two and a half i think it'll be close but i like the football team here as, as long as as long as alex smith is under center oh, i don't know I, I i i as impressive as the alex smith comeback story has been i haven't loved what he's done at quarterback um i think the difference is that their washington's defense is significantly better than carolina's even in a league of defense doesn't matter and all those kinds of things 
I think they will cause Teddy Bridgewater to have some issues and, and put the ball in harm's way, at which point you just have to hope that Alex Smith doesn't. Um, and that, again, has not been a guarantee this year. Like he, The two, the two sort of hyper-risk-averse quarterbacks, Teddy Bridgewater and Alex Smith, have actually thrown the ball to, to defenses a lot. So if Alex yeah. Smith can prevent himself doing that this week, they should win. All right, I'm taking the football team there by two and a half. Let's wrap it up with Monday Night Football. Maybe it looks like a good game when the schedule is made, but it's the Buffalo Bills at the New England Patriots. The Bills, the AFC East champions. The Patriots just fighting to get to 500. They're out of the playoffs for the first time since 2008, the second time since 2002. I mentioned a couple weeks ago, this could be a two-week stretch where you just like really feel the shift. Like the shift has happened, but you feel the shift of the AFC East to to a Buffalo or to just the rest of the division uh, over New England. And uh, the Patriots are going to finish third in the AFC East. And, you know, Buffalo, the shift has already happened. Now the question is, Buffalo's fighting for a number two seed uh, because because they're a game behind Pittsburgh, have the tiebreaker. Pittsburgh playing the Colts, so that's going to be a big game if you do care about home field advantage in the playoffs. And then from a New England standpoint, is this time to start getting a look at Jared Stidham instead of Cam Newton, who might only have two weeks left in his Patriots career because he's on a one-year contract. I think this is still an intriguing game. Um, any, I mean, the Patriots still have Bill Belichick, right? And as much as the talent level around him has diminished, and you can talk about how much that's his fault or not as you know GM as well, he's still able to coach an incredibly good game, particularly on defense, and cause opposing quarterbacks problems and at least present them with challenges that they're not necessarily being exposed to every single week so Josh Allen has been rolling he's looked looking fantastic but he's going to have to contend with a Bill Belichick defense is going to go out of its way to cause him some problems and I think that's always going to be worth watching um as for the other side of the ball I have no interest in seeing what Jared Stidham can bring to the table I don't know that the Patriots have any interest in seeing what Jared Stidham can bring to the table either you know, Cam Newton, they're writing him for what that's worth. They're going to f- have to figure out in the offseason what their long-term plan is. But, I, I mean, what is, what's Stidham doing for you? At least see if he has anything. It may, it might not be the future, but, you know, do you even want him as your future backup? Or are you going to keep re-signing Brian Hoyer until he's done? You know, I think there's, there's, there's questions to answer there for New England. Yeah, I mean. With Stidham? No? All right, no. cool. Uh, it's at New England. Buffalo won the first time around. It was a windy game. It, it affected the pass games. Both uh, The Buffalo run game was really good. Uh, on paper, you would think the other way, that the, the, the New England run game would have this advantage against a light Buffalo front. They still might uh, on Monday Night Football. But the first game was close. Cam Newton was trying to lead a, a comeback or at least a game-tying field goal attempt, and he fumbled, turned it over. Buffalo, we'll say Buffalo forced the turnover to uh, to earn the victory. How about that? Um, so it was close the first time around. I'm expecting another pretty good and close matchup, especially in New England. But I think, you know, Buffalo's still playing for something. And, you know, I think, you know, they're going to win. It's it's this passing of the torch. But they're favored by seven in New England, man. Seven? Yeah. Is that high? It's, as well as this offense is played, as well as Josh Allen's playing and everything in this offense, can they win by seven against this New England defense? 
I mean, I think you can definitely make the case for it, but I, I do think it's high if just because of that Bill Belichick factor. You know, he's going he's he doesn't want to get beaten at home by the team that's already taken the division crown away from him. You know, he wants to dial up something to show that the New England Patriots still have some teeth left in their head. Um and you know, Josh Allen, as great as he's been this year, is still capable of not being elite Josh Allen on any given week, right? You could get a more average game from him. I think Buffalo suffers a lot when that happens. Buffalo is up to number three in our PFF ELO rankings. The The story to me, Josh Allen's been fantastic and the, the offense has been fantastic. The all-around team that Buffalo has put together has been excellent. I like New England to cover here um, because seven does seem like a lot. And like the, the fact that their defense can keep it close, but Buffalo's going to win it, and it is. You know, maybe they'll be talking about it all Monday night. The passing of the torch in the AFC East. It's going to just feel different uh, in New England for Monday Night Football. But I like Buffalo to win, New England to cover in this one. Mm-hmm. And you agree? Yep. All right, man. That's it. Week sixteen in the books. We got out the got this out a little bit early. Enjoy every everyone. Enjoy your Christmas. Enjoy a holiday. However you you're going to spend it. And uh, we'll be back on Monday morning, and I'll be back in studio. Wow. Yeah, I'll be back. Back in studio. I'm going to try to go save this Christmas tree in the back, make sure it doesn't fall before uh, before Christmas. That would make a great closing to the podcast, though, if it just you know, capsized on top of you to finish, to Somebody wrap. Could, we could get the video editors on it or something like that. Uh-huh. Get something going there. Well, Merry Christmas, Sam. And you too, to, Steve. Merry Christmas to all of you our- You too, uh, everybody else. Yeah, our millions and millions of listeners. Uh, Enjoy it, and we'll be back uh, Monday morning. Yep. Yep.